Welcome to Here She Stands, the podcast where Lutheran women from across Australia come together as a community, sharing stories and testifying to God's goodness. We do this so when the tribulations of this world try to push us down, each woman can hold firm to the word of God and confidently say, here I stand, I can do no other. My name is Lexi and I am a homeschooling mama of four girls and the wife of a first year pastoral student. I love theology books, classical music, and I'm currently trying my hand at becoming more self-sufficient. And I'm Sonia, a Lutheran pastor's wife, homeschooling mum of two kiddos, homemaker, tradition lover, and all-round crafty person. In today's episode, Lexi and I will be sitting down and chatting with Meg Pierce. Meg lives in Adelaide, where her husband serves as the pastor of Bethlehem Lutheran Church. Hello, Meg. How are you? Hi there. I'm well, thanks. It's so lovely to have you on. Oh, it's lovely to be here. I've met you, I think it was maybe 2017, Mm -hmm. um, when we were attending Bethlehem Church and your husband was serving there as pastor and he actually confirmed us into the Lutheran Church. So yeah, I've seen you around, but I've Mm -hmm. never really heard your story. So I'm very excited to be chatting with you today. And Lexi is here with us as well. Yes, and I haven't actually met you yet, Meg. Maybe one day soon, but we've spoken on the phone and messaged messaged each other. But yeah, so welcome to Here She Stands and thank you for actually um, being willing to come on and share your story. Oh, thank you so much. It's lovely to be with you both. So just to begin with, just tell us, you know, a bit about yourself. So we know that you're in Adelaide, you know, how many years have you been married and tell us about your family and Mm-hmm. Things like that. That would be really great. Yes. So, uh, as Sonia just said, I've been living in Adelaide for a while. Uh, Fraser is my husband, Fraser Pierce. He's a Lutheran pastor. He's in his third parish. Um, he's serving at his third church in here in Adelaide. We've been here for about 13 years. Uh, we've been married for 28 years getting close to 30 which is exciting yes um we have four children this is our odd year so everyone by the end of the year is an odd number in of our kids so um we have our two eldest are in their first i guess career jobs so our eldest son is 23 he's just got a job with the public service our next child, Francesca, or Oscar, Francesca is 21. She's just become a nurse and just moved out of home. So this is a wow. really different stage of life for us. I've actually just set up my first guest room in this house. First time we've been able to do that. So I'm a bit excited and, and I miss my daughter as well, but I am a bit excited to have a space to be able to offer guests. And then we have a daughter, Emmanuel, in year 11 and she'll be 17 this year and a son in year nine, Daniel, and he'll be 15. Okay, yeah. so no no little ones. You're past the little, yeah. the little child stage. That's right. Uh, I did um, stay home with the kids largely through those years. Yeah, the, yeah, they were intense years. Had two children in Melbourne, two children at, when Fraser was at Box Hill Congregation, two, and the next two children came at Bethlehem in Bendigo and now we're at another Bethlehem in Adelaide. Hmm. I actually, in my childhood, I was at a Bethlehem in Jindra. So it's a bit of a theme for me. 
Yeah, Bethlehem seems to be a very popular name for Lutheran mm. churches. So how long have you been in Adelaide for now? Yep, it's been 13 years and it's actually the longest I've ever lived in a city uh, or anywhere in my life. Yeah, I guess there's been a bit of moving around. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of a special feeling for me to have lived somewhere and had this um, sense of uh, security and continuity. And yeah, yeah it's been really lovely. and. Uh, lovely place to live and raise raise the children and being near family here in Adelaide too, which has been great. Mm. Yep. So putting your roots down. Mm. Yeah. I mean, never too far down because I'm married to a Lutheran pastor. So we're always aware that we might move sometime soon, but I've really appreciated this patch. In some ways, it's related to what we're going to talk, talk about today because it, my proximity to my mum meant that I could be there for my mum. Mm. Yes, and we look forward to hearing more about that. Yeah. So before we start digging into that, I have been told by numerous people, you need to ask Meg about her music. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. So sure. tell us, so what do you play or do you sing or, yeah, just tell us about yeah. that. Okay, sure. Um, yes, so I play piano and I started off on piano as a child and when I was a teenager, I guess, I started enjoying singing. So, yes, I do sing as well. And um, eventually I went to university and studied music and did a Bachelor of Music in singing. So I think I spend more of my time, probably equal amounts of time, involved in church music, singing and playing piano. Where we are at Bethlehem, we have a church choir. And so I sing in the church choir it's pretty amazing. There aren't many Lutheran churches across Australia where they have a dedicated weekly choir. Um, we have about seven, eight weeks off a year. And the rest of the time, you know, we're there pretty much every Sunday making worship beautiful, I, I hope. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that's a very special part of my life. And then my piano part of playing, I've been involved at the ALC, the Australian Lutheran College, where they train pastors and um, have other education going on there. I've been involved in their chapel worship services. In, in previous years, I've helped out with the choir mm -hmm. um, and run a some little vocal groups and then I play at Bethlehem about once a month or every six weeks at their less formal, their not organ and choir service, um, yeah. 11 a.m. service, yeah. So you have an organ and choir service, which sounds so beautiful. It's such an amazing service to go to. We've been a number of times. Yeah. And it's just such a different experience, especially at Easter and Christmas. Oh, yes. It's easy to take it for granted because, you know, this has been my my home for the last 13 years. Mm. Yeah, it really is special. And I, I'm not sure I really mean it when I say I take it for granted. I just... I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love going to church. I love singing anthems. I love singing psalms. Mm. <laughs> you know, all these things, they're such a blessing to me. And, you know, my involvement at ALC has been really special as well because, like I say, I just love going to church. <laughs> yeah. And mm -hmm. so, you know, going and, and starting the day 
with morning prayer and if I can put aside occasionally my nerves because I'm a bit lazy sometimes and I don't practice so my adrenaline goes a bit crazy. It's a really special part of my life and I'm very grateful for that skill and that gift that I've been given and I guess one of the lovely things about music is as well is that it's collaborative so I'm not really interested in the things about music that you do on your own so Mm. yeah I'd much rather be in a a group doing something. So that's why I love, I guess, singing in a choir or being in a small band or something, you know. We came from a fairly relaxed Baptist church and our first placement was Bethlehem and it was a culture shock almost. Yeah. Um, But the liturgy and the choir and the organ, Mm. um, it was a culture shock, but at the same time it was just, it felt like it brought, the gospel and everything to life Mm. like we'd never experienced before wow that's so interesting i can really imagine that yeah especially the first easter service we went to was just life-changing for us wow (laughs) something that we wanted to experience every year because it just made the story come alive and Mm. yeah really help us helped us to appreciate the passion and everything in a way that we had never thought of before. It was not something we'd ever celebrated in that way before. And that's what you want. You want music to point to the story, point to Christ and point away from us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And isn't that wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> so that's, a, yeah. that's so lovely to hear. I'm jealous. I haven't actually experienced that type of service mm-hmm. before. Um, I've only been... Lutheran for two years now right. I think and um, I play piano at our church it's just a piano down the back mm-hmm. and I'd love to learn how to play the organ because I have found that just coming into the Lutheran church there's this beautiful culture of music this really really beautiful culture and in many ways becoming Lutheran has actually it's brought to life this desire in me for beautiful music. So I grew up playing Bach on the piano and having kids, getting busy, taking a break from music, and then coming into the Lutheran church, it's given me this desire, get back into Bach because Mm. it is so beautiful. Isn't it? And it's absolutely beautiful. And just, yeah, just being a part of the liturgy and just how music plays such an important part in the traditional service. And that has been one of the most beautiful blessings of of becoming Lutheran. Meg, have you always been Lutheran? Were you raised in the Lutheran church or did you come into it later? I was baptised in the Anglican church. My mum was the daughter of an Anglican minister and uh, her first marriage broke down and she eventually remarried um, when I was about four and uh, she married a Lutheran. From then on, we worshipped in the Lutheran church. So from the age of four, I've been going to church in the Lutheran church. (laughs) Yeah, so not quite a cradle Lutheran but uh, not far off in yeah. some ways. So basically it's it's all that you've known. Yeah. Yes, lovely yeah. days, um, a rural childhood uh, near Aubrey Wodonga, a little, little town called Jindera. Yeah. Lovely. So this is, I think this is a really beautiful um, transition over into the topic of mm. talking about caring for your mother in her mm. old age. So I guess... 
lead us into that. So, <laughs> of course, mothers get old. Yeah. Yeah. My mum was a really loving, caring lady. Uh, she died almost a year ago, almost to today. On Monday, we'll be marking one year since she died. Mm -hmm. She was a really sweet sweetheart anyway uh so she's been living in adelaide for for the last oh, i don't know like 20 something 20-ish years of her life my mum was a pretty avid smoker all her life and she started really young she even like got some of the local boys into it she was <laughs> just pretty keen on uh on cigarettes unfortunately you know and we all knew that it was precarious for her health i seem to recall you know being young and hiding them under the house <laughs> yeah. um, when, when we all realised what damage this was going to be doing to her. But, it, you know, as with addictions, it was very hard for her to give up. But we were so proud of her when she finally stopped at 70. Wow. Um, and when we celebrated mum's 70th birthday, we were in this house actually and we had a party. We made speeches about how we were so grateful for her and her life and now every we f I think we felt like everything was a gift, you know, to a gift to have her in our lives. And remarkably, the disability from smoking began from 70, really, really. We started to see the effects after she gave up. Yeah. And then so I, I guess gradually I got more and more involved in her life, taking her to the doctor, doing all sorts of things just to help her along doing gardening chores, all sorts of things. And so more and more, my siblings and I, our help needed to increase. As mum moved to needing oxygen when she went out shopping, or but then it increased to oxygen 24 hours a day. Was she yeah. living independently? Yeah, she actually, and this is a point of great gratitude and thanks for, you know, we're so thankful that we could enable mum to stay in her home right until mm. the day she died. Um, and there are many reasons why that was a blessing, particularly thinking about um, hospitals and COVID, even if she'd, if she'd died in hospital uh, during this COVID time of life, she probably only could have had one person or two people at her bedside. Mm -hmm. But when mum died a year ago, we were able to come and go freely and be with her the whole time. So lots of really special things. I'm very grateful that I've been living in the same city as my mum and my proximity has meant that I've been able to assist mum uh, where she needed it and gradually it just increased and increased over time. And this was, this was not something I did alone. So, event, so you know, mum's needs started small and but they increased to quite intense. So mum's last six months were really intense from a family assisting her point of view my brother actually ended up sleeping over a lot and and then we had an app where we'd coordinate all of us um, my children pitched in you know various members of the family and paid care between mm -hmm. us we covered 24-hour care for mum for, for a few months there before she died hmm. yeah so there's lots to say I could talk about it for ages I'm quite sure yes <laughs> That's a very practical tip there, having an app to yeah. coordinate everyone's appointments. and Yes, schedule. that's right. Um, it was actually quite helpful because we could jump on and just put in our availability and work out where the gaps were and all sorts of things like that and, um, yeah, just understand it at a snapshot. Yeah. So when you were caring for your mum and in those last six months when it mm. got very intense, just out of curiosity, like, did you feel 
the sense of sacred work mm. and the sense of I've heard this said before a privilege a privilege to care for the woman who carried you and gave you life and mm. basically the reversal of roles you know yeah. she had done the complete care for you when you were a baby and growing up and now those roles have been reversed Mm. what was absolutely no it was really special and sacred that's not to say that there weren't really difficult elements about it as well and and I have to say assisted by the fact that my mum was just so sweet and thankful there were things that drove me batty as well <laughs> yeah uh, because she was human I'm human <laughs> um yeah. but we always had a, a good relationship her home was peaceful and quiet and serving her was really special and like I say she was so grateful for it and her enjoyment of staying home was really special so yes I think I definitely in my mind was the way that mum so lovingly cared for me the sacrifices she made for me the way she just loves her four children she just loves us so much so you know there have been so many great gifts in my life through my mum and I think one of the things that strongly brought my dedication to mum into focus was a call that Fraser received I've got I've got this really terrible memory and I so I can't remember what year it was or what the exact circumstances were but I think things really shifted when mum fell and broke her hip and I had started some studies around that time and it just brought a lot of things into clarity. Mum fell, broke her hip and I thought, gosh, what am I doing studying? I, I don't want this to pursue this more than I want to be there for mum. So that helped me to realise, no, I'm going to withdraw from this course. I'd rather be available for when mum needs me. And so when I mentioned Fraser's call, I also, um, he would have gone on his own journey with regard to the call. But for me, and the thing that I could share with him was when I think about serving our neighbour or serving in a parish, serving the body of Christ, I can't up and leave my mum to, to go to another city as was the situation and say, yeah. right, see you, see your mum. <laughs> I know you're in need, but, you know, I just, in my conscience, it was just such a heavy, like I felt it so heavily that mum was in need and I couldn't abandon her. So, and I really feel, I just have to say as well that so many things about my situation meant that I was available to do this. I know that this isn't something that everybody can be in in close proximity to their parents or in a financial position. But I have to say, I'm just so endlessly grateful for the way the church provides a home for their pastors. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then because that is not a financial burden for us um, and he has a generous, a generous income, I am free to go and do something like care for my mum as I did so, I mean, I, it wasn't 24 hours a day and it was a bit of a juggle, juggling care of my mum's home and towards the end I was running sort of, it felt like I was running two homes, Yeah, managing her homes, her, her bills, her medical appointments, all sorts of things and mine uh, and actually right towards the end I was also very much involved in my godmother's life and so in some ways I ended up sort of juggling her administrative things and yeah, so it it's been a very intense couple of years, but it's also been very beautiful and very special. And I was with mum and holding her hand as she died, which was just mm. one of the great gifts of my life. So, yeah. Yes, that's beautiful. Mm. Uh, 
just out of curiosity, I don't know if you have an answer for that or not. If she had needed assisted care, what would you have done? Would you have had her in your home or Mm. put her into a home? Or what do you think that would have looked like for you? Yeah, it's something that we thought about quite a bit. So things get really practical when you start thinking about that sort of thing. So Mm. my house has things like where is the toilet from a bedroom or how many stairs are there into my house Uh, when somebody is that um, struggling that much for oxygen and breathing is such a difficulty steps and things like that are really a big part of decision making so we really explored okay could mum come and live with us could mum go and live with my brother all these sorts of things and mum's dedication to her own space was really big yeah. She did it just really loved her own routines, her own space. We have four children, you know, not and so we thought about these things. If we'd had a different actual architectural setup, we might have been able to make it work. My mum actually has lived with us previously. That's a whole other story. And so, you know, we knew we could do it because she lived with us for a couple of years. But actually, by the time she was nearly 80, mum's sort of routines, her love of her own space, those sorts of things were not anything she felt she could do. She also, and I wouldn't want to subject her to the sort of loud stomping and slamming and <laughs> and I just mean in terms, I don't mean like in anger, I just mean the way people comport themselves around our home. Yeah. Um, and then, so mum was in palliative care for actually the last couple of years of her life. So when I say in palliative care, there's community nursing where they could provide oversight and contact and conversation and talk about medications, all sorts of things. But, you know, we would raise quite often, mum, how are you going at home? Do you think you need to move into some form of care now? And we were very, very close to that. Mum, it took a long, long time. She was very stoic um, for her to say, yes, I think I can't cope at home anymore. And that's when my brother said, well, he said, I think I can do this, which made me kind of angry at the time because he decided he would step up his time commitment to help mum stay in her home, but it actually he could never have done it on his own. So in the end, I'm glad he did that. And I have to say God was very good to us in the timing of when he took mum home. Mm-hmm. And I was basically at the end of my rope for the way we were sort of camping at mum's, coming back home, running my home. I was really struggling by the end of it. And I was just about to tell my brother that I could, and mum, I couldn't go on about a week before mum died, mm. which is kind of incredible because um, there were some things going on in my own home and I'm just watching this train wreck feeling completely absent from my own home, thinking, oh, you know, I can't be absent from running my own home anymore. I've got to get home. And yeah, and then mum got a chest infection and she took medication for a couple of days and improved and then it became really clear that she was going downhill Mm -hmm. and then palliative care really kicked into action they set up the the special bed and they sent the nurses to you know help her with medications to just see her through and we surrounded mum with love and care and uh, it was just so wonderful 
Yeah. Sounds like the Lord stretched you just as far as you could be stretched. It's absolutely, absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. I suppose um, with our husband's jobs, my husband goes and does nursing home visits and that mm. kind of thing regularly and he just comes home so crushed most of the time just with what he witnesses and how those mm. places are run and it makes us really not want to uh, I mean our parents that's still many years away but it mm. really makes us not want to send our parents there so yeah it's something it's something we have really been feeling that we need to have some sort of plan for the future where we can avoid that. Yeah, I mean, entering into the world of aged care and it's a tricky world to navigate and, you know, anything that can help people stay in their homes for as long as possible is wonderful and I, I'm glad the government puts some and various agencies some work into these sorts of things to assist people in that way. But it certainly opens my mind and makes me, you know, I've had numerous conversations about how our society is not really set up for generational care in the way some other societies are and we've really moved on and isolated ourselves you know from generational living that could assist people at that mm. end of their life in some ways I guess that could be a whole other conversation and yeah I think it's an unfortunate side of our culture but then I guess we just have to you know if people are in the care setting to try and help people not become isolated in those settings is is the real challenge stay mm. connected stay i might mm. start praying for that now mm. that god puts us in just the right home or just the right area to be able mm. to support our parents when the time comes yeah yeah and i think the earlier we can think about these things the better because you never know maybe mum might have considered living with us earlier on yeah maybe but the challenges meant that she really couldn't consider it towards the end. But like I say, steps up to the front door, three or four steps, really ru ruled it out for us. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, just going back to something that you said before about your mm. godmother. Yeah. So you became very involved in your godmother's life as well. Mm. In, the same, in the same kind of way mm, no, as your mum? A really different way in some way. So... Mum and Mary's circumstances were really different, but mm -hmm. because they were close friends, there was a lot to think about in terms of comparing them. So Mary, my godmother, had no children. She was never in a long-term relationship or marriage, and she had a falling out with her family. Uh, so she was a very isolated person. She lived in Sydney. So there's a major point of difference. Here I am in Adelaide, she's in Sydney. So a lot of my care for her was emotional care on the telephone and more and more administrative from afar. And so I would pay visits to her in Sydney, come and go, um, support her over the phone. Yeah, she was also a very different personality from my mum. So her needs were really different. But she longed to never ever go into care she was far more desperate about that than my mum ever was because my mum was kind of philosophical and accepting about her situation and was so mindful of her children and their families and their situations that she was very gracious mary was very desperate to never go into care and i was desperate to 
care for her in the best possible way that I could. Mm -hmm. But all the factors were pointing to, you know, I couldn't go and live with her. I would have loved to have been free to do that. But my first calling is to my marriage and to my kids. She had quite a bit of means, but certainly not enough means to have round the clock care in her own home. In fact, we did try that for a month and she absolutely burnt through money like I've never seen before. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, she, she just much to, you know, it was actually a very difficult decision, well, not decision, but she went into respite. So she had been in hospital, actually, she was in hospital for huge periods of time in her last two years, really, she spent most of it in hospital. Mm -hmm. So it was just kind of hospital, home, hospital, home, hospital, respite, home. (laughs) The poor darling, it was just such a really difficult time for her in her life. And um, she was desperate not to be in care. She ended up in care. She died in care. Mm. Um, so part of me had to deal with the, this feeling of, of a little bit of failure, but also, you know, speak to myself and say, look, we, we looked at moving her to Adelaide, but speak to myself and acknowledge the reality of the situation. Mm. Yeah. So just going back to that, yeah, you're not the Messiah. You're no. Not, you're not everywhere at once. And so the care that you have to give is limited. And, yeah, you had the priority, your family, your husband, your children and your mother had Mm. your top priority at that time. Yeah, so what type of care did you give to your grandmother? You said that it was mostly administrative. um, Oh, yes, godmother, yes. Sorry, godmother, yes. Yeah, no, no. Oh, look, so we, we spoke on the phone every day pretty much. I started being involved in her, you know, in helping her pay bills, in speaking for her for various things. A lot of the time it's IT support, (laughs) all sorts of things, coordinating carers, helping her with medical appointments. And, and, you know, this is from Adelaide, making phone calls, organising, sometimes even organising transport or, you know, all sorts of Mm. things. Uh, I would go up to Sydney increasingly. Um, It became quite costly. Towards Mm. the end, Mary started paying for my airfares. And then, of course, COVID happened. But, you know, uh, one of the things as well that was really lovely, while both mum and Mary were ailing, one of the upsides of COVID and our church having a live streamed service was that I would go to choir rehearsal on Sunday morning, 8.15 in the morning, or I'd leave home, we'd get to church, I'd find the link and then text it to my mum, text it to Mary, and they would join me at church, sometimes Mm -hmm. later in the day, but, you know, often at the same time. And that was a really special way to support them because neither of them could get to church in the last few years of their lives. But, you know, we could share church service together and they could sort of be with me and we could worship the Lord together. So yeah, one of the unexpected outcomes of a a difficult period for older people, COVID, you know, really isolated a lot of people in their homes. And yes, you said um, that you provided emotional care for your godmother. What did Mm -hmm. that look like? Yeah, um, my godmother was prone to panic quite often. And so just kind of talking her down sometimes, just being a listening ear. Actually, a lot of the time she just needed to unload and complain about things or 
Uh, and so to just be a listening ear and um, available for her in that way. Sometimes, um, actually, when she was in a real panic, um, Fraser was fantastic and he was more able to be a past some pastoral care for her and pray mm -hmm. with her and she was really grateful for that. Yeah, that's really good. It's important for me to just say again how, how unique my situation was to have found myself able to care for mum, to not have financial pressures that meant that I couldn't say yes. So I'm really grateful to have had that proximity to her, this, been in the same city at the same time, to not have been so committed to a job that meant that I couldn't help out. Yeah, so things sort of just came together to mean that I was more available to mum. Yeah, that's not the case for everybody. But, I, you know, I think as a society, the more we can think about how to do these things well is of value, <laughs> yeah, and how to support people in, in their isolation. It's not always an easy thing to see how, how some people might become isolated. I, I really hope I can see that more um, and be available to other people because these people were very much, you know, mum, it was my mother and my godmother. They were people given to me by God or, you know, I was given to them. Um, yeah. And, you know, sometimes I'm a bit blind to these things and sometimes I need something as obvious as my own mother and her needs right there. I really hope I can live out these sorts of callings beyond just family. But, you know, family is the obvious place to be of service. Thank you for joining us today on the Here She Stands podcast. We hope that this episode has encouraged and edified your faith. You can find Here She Stands on Facebook and Instagram, or you can email us at hereshestands.podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to sign up to our newsletter, please go to our website at hereshestands.online and fill in the subscription form. This way we can keep you updated with the latest news and also send you links to new episodes as they are released. What is a deaconess and what do they do? These questions will be answered in two weeks when we sit down and chat with Kathleen Mills. Kathleen lives in Shepparton, Victoria, where she serves as a deaconess. Until then, we pray that you will hold fast to God's word and confidently say, here I stand, I can do no other.